0: Hey everybody and welcome back to Ancient Ways for Modern Days. My name is Mike Freeman and today we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now I want to set things up for you by having you think a little bit today about the difficult moment when you end up correcting someone in their sin. I want you to think about that moment. Have you ever had a conversation with someone when when they've done wrong? When they're practicing sin where they're doing something that is that is not honoring to god that is in violation of the scripture and you as their brother or sister in christ you see them do this and you you go and you speak to them about this you know you speak to them about this with this giant question mark over your head how are they going to respond how are they going to respond the Apostle Paul in, uh, in first, or 2 Corinthians 7, he speaks about that, that inward tension that exists when you correct someone. This, this chapter, in, in particular, the verses we're going to look at, verses 8 through 11, they, they deal with that, but they also deal with the other side. I want you to think about when someone has confronted you with your sin. Now, I've had many times in my life when someone's come to me and said, Mike, the, when, when you speak this way, you, you are out of, line, out of line. Mike, the way you treated so-and-so, it, it is it is not godly. It is not Christ-honoring. In, in those moments, you, you're you confronted with this reality. And in those moments, you can decide to put your guards up. And, uh, you know, you can say, you're wrong, I'm right. In those moments, you can fake it. Uh... You can kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sorry, but like go on without any real intention to change. Or in those moments, you can demonstrate a genuine, sincere, spirit-led repentance. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at both sides. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul as he confronted the Corinthians in their sin and uh, through his letters. And then we're going to look at the Corinthians response. And so open up your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8. Let's begin with the Apostle Paul and the internal tension that existed in him as he was correcting them. He says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, he says, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. You know, Paul sent this letter and he was awaiting the response, the return response. Not the letter we're talking about now, but a previous one. And he's, you can imagine him, he's written some challenging things. He's corrected them in their sinfulness, in their worldliness, in their acting not like Christ, but instead of acting as those who don't trust in Christ. And he's corrected them. And you, you just imagine him. Oh, I wonder if I was too hard. I, I, I wonder if I said the right thing. I, oh, man, I, I don't know how they're going to take it. I, what, what if they What if they walk away completely? What if they hate me? What if they hate God? What, what if they decide to go back to their pagan roots? Oh, you can sense this in his words. He says, I do not regret it, though Though I did regret it. For, for I see that the letter grieved you. See, he, he wasn't correcting them so that he could feel superior or, or high and mighty or like, look at how much better I am than you. He, he was correcting them because he, he loved them. He understood that the best way to live is in light of the gospel, living for the glory of God. He, he understood this. And so he was willing to grieve them. He was willing to get up in their business. He was willing to challenge them because he loved them. How often do we uh, refuse to correct one another? Because we love them. Because we don't want to hurt their feelings. And so we're not going to say anything. Listen, that's not love. That's love of self. Your, your own comfort, your own sense of acceptance by others because you're not saying things that are going to challenge the status quo. But that is not love. That is not love. Verse 9. He says, as it is, I rejoice. He, now, now Paul's rejoicing. Why is he rejoicing? Because he crushed them? No, no, no. I rejoice. Not because you were grieved. Look at this. But because you were grieved into repenting. This is the bullseye. This is the bullseye. When we address someone in their sin, we don't do it to shame them, simply for the, the, the opportunity to make them feel bad. We don't do this so we can leverage some sort of authority or power over them. We do this. We aim them at repentance. Repentance. It says, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. The net result of Paul's correction of them was a gain. It was a gain because they turned from their sin. They, They were willing. They were humble. The Spirit worked in them in a way that they were willing to say, I'm not going to keep doing these things that I've been doing. I love verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. This is just so such a crystal clear verse when we talk about repentance. It says godly grief. When we're confronted with our sin, when we have a sorrow for our sin, is it a sorrow simply that we were caught or is it a sorrow that we have been living offensively for god see a godly grief that produces a repentance that leads to salvation says i am turning for my sin i am turning toward the crucified and risen jesus i am believing in the salvation that i have that my sins have been forgiven notice it says without regret Do we regret our sin? Yes, but we don't like hang on to it like, oh my goodness, what have I done with my life up to this point? Like we're stuck in our sin. Like we're stuck in our old life. No, we have a repentance that leads to salvation that we can move forward from. But then he contrasts it. He says, whereas worldly grief produces death. One of the, the saddest things to see is someone who <clears throat> has done evil, done wrong, and all they're willing to do is feel a worldly grief and not take that and find their redemption in Christ. How does this lead to death? Well, you you beat yourself up for the rest of your life. How does this lead to death? You carry around a guilty conscience, and so you're, you're always worried about what people are thinking about you and, and if you're good enough. How does this lead to death? Sometimes this becomes so overwhelming that you think life's not even worth living. But, but there is such a better way. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret turn to christ turn from your sins turn in faith to jesus believe that he died and he paid the price for all of our sins that he was buried and he was resurrected to life so that we can share in that life that resurrected life for eternity this is godly grief true repentance and look at the result verse 11 it says, For we see what earnestness this godly grief produced in you, this this grief, this repentance, it produced an earnestness where they were earnestly turning from their sins. They weren't dabbling with it. They weren't kind of like uh, sitting on the fence, like one foot into sin, the other foot uh, into holiness. They were saying, "I want no more of the sin. I want Christ. I want holiness. I want godliness." See. He says, For we see what earnestness this godly grief produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves. To clear themselves, to distance themselves from sinfulness. To say, that's not who I am. That's not what I do. I I used to do that. That was who I I, I used to be. But no longer, listen, I am going to clear myself. I am not going to have any of that in my life at all what indignation. That old life, I hate it. I don't want to return to my sin. I, I hate the sin that I was trapped in. I'm so thankful that I've been rescued, but I, I hate that sin. It says, what fear? What fear of the Lord? This is not, oh man, the Lord's going to crush me. But as we've talked about at Valley recently, this is a fear of the Lord. This is godly living based upon who God is in his holiness, who we are in our desperate state, and the great rescue we have received through Jesus and his death and resurrection. Now we live with gratitude, holy, godly lives. What longing! I long for Christ. I long for holiness. I long to be part of the church. What zeal. I'm passionate about the things of God. I, I, I don't have to read my Bible. I get to read my Bible. I don't have to go to church. I can't wait to go to church. I, I don't have to pray. I get to just spill my heart before the Lord. Even what punishment. If there's earthly consequences, I'm willing to face them. It says at every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter this is the kind of repentance this is the kind of turning from our sins that each of us need to aim at so so let's go back to the beginning when you correct someone do do you correct people when you see a brother or sister in christ and they are sinning do you love them enough to not with This like condemning judgment, but lovingly, gently, and boldly go to them and say, hey, you know, I see you doing this. And the scripture says this, help me understand. And then in that, help them understand the life they're living is not God honoring. Maybe there's someone coming to mind right now. As this video comes to a conclusion, I want you to take some time and pray to the Lord that he would give you courage to be someone that says, this this is what I see and it's not good. And then the other side of that, how do you respond when you are confronted? And I, I, I thank God for my wife, for a few other people in my life, uh, a few of the, the men in my life, that they're willing to say, Mike, your attitude's wrong here. Mike, you, you're, you're not doing the right thing here. Mike, you, you, th- this, isn't, this isn't honoring God. I'm so thankful for them. And I pray that I have the attitude it's described in this passage that has a a godly grief that it's a repentance that leads to salvation. This is this is standard Christian practice. This is this is Christian living and loving each other one on one. This is not complicated. This is hard, but this is something every believer is called to do. This is our ancient way for our modern day.